European Heart Journal, Issue at a Glance, Volume 40, Issue 27, Focus Issue, Valvular Heart Disease, by Editor-in-Chief Professor Thomas Lucia, read to you by Morgan Bryan. Frontiers of Surgical and Catheter-Based Management of Valvular Heart Disease. Mitral regurgitation has become a frontier in cardiovascular research and clinical practice with the development of MitraClip and with or without the recently introduced cardioband and balloon expandable mitral valves that can all be implanted with catheter-based techniques. Indeed, a number of patients with mitral regurgitation are considered unsuitable for surgery because of impaired left ventricle ejection fraction, LVEF or comorbidities among other causes, as acknowledged by the most recent ESC guidelines. Indeed, functional mitral regurgitation frequently is accompanied by heart failure and is associated with poor prognosis. Valvular surgery proved to be inferior to optimized medical therapy, cardiac resynchronization therapy, long-term ventricle assist devices, or cardiac transplantation. The recent COPED and MITRA FR trials tested the safety and the efficacy of MITRA-CLIP in such patients with unfortunately divergent results. Bernard Prendergast and colleagues from St Thomas Hospital in London, United Kingdom, carefully discussed the lessons in both trials in their viewpoint, mitral regurgitation in heart failure, time for a rethink. They argue that careful echocardiographic screening of heart failure patients before and after the instigation of optimal medical treatment is essential to identifying suitable candidates and optimal timing of transcatheter interventions. While the results of MITRA-FR indicate that those with advanced left ventricular dilatation do not respond to MITRA-CLIP, those of COOPT demonstrate that earlier treatment is beneficial with moderate LV dilatation and severe MR. Further studies are required to determine whether patients with marked LV dilatation and severe MR might benefit from edge-to-edge -edge repair since they were underrepresented in MITRA-FR and excluded from the COPT. In their original research article, Causes and Mechanisms of Isolated Mitral Regurgitation in the Community, Clinical Context and Outcome, Maurice Enriquez Serrano and colleagues from the Mayo Clinic, Rochester, Minnesota, define the hitherto unknown spectrum of etiology or mechanisms of mitral regurgitation in their Olmsted community and their clinical characteristics and outcomes. In total, 727 patients with a median age of 73 years and an LVF of 49% were included. Mitral regurgitation was functional in two-thirds and organic in one-third. Functional mitral regurgitation was linked to LV remodeling in 38% and atrial dilatation in 27%. Functional mitral regurgitation with remodeling were younger than those with an enlarged atria only, more likely to be males, and less likely to have atrial fibrillation and obviously have a lower LVF. The dominant mechanism was type 1 with normal valve movement in 38%, type 2 with excessive valve movement in 25%, type 3A with diastolic restricted movement in distally in 3%, and type 3B with restricted movement in systole in 34%. Mortality was increased compared to the general population in those with LV remodeling with a hazard ratio of 3.45, and less so in those with arterial enlargement, i.e. 1.88, and organic mitral regurgitation, i.e. 1.83. Heart failure was frequent, particularly in those with LV remodeling. 
Thus, moderate or severe mitral regurgitation in the community displays considerable heterogeneity of etiology and mechanism. Functional mitral regurgitation dominates, mostly in those with LV remodeling or enlarged left atrium, and they have excess mortality and heart failure with preserved or reduced LVEF. As patients in the community are untreated, as recently reported for European countries, clinical trials tailored to specific mitral regurgitation causes and mechanisms are warranted. Recurrent mitral regurgitation is quite common after surgical repair of functional mitral regurgitation, but may also occur with mitroclip. However, its impact on long-term survival remains poorly defined. In their article, Impact of Recurrent Mitral Regurgitation After Mitral Valve Repair for Functional Mitral Regurgitation, Long-Term Analysis of Competing Outcomes, Jerry Brown and colleagues from the Leiden University Medical Center in Leiden, Netherlands, studied mortality-adjusted reoccurrence rates, their clinical impact, and its determinants in 261 patients' ischemic heart disease. The incident of recurrent mitral regurgitation of grade 2 or greater was 9.6% at one year, 20.3% at five years, and 27.6% at 10 years. The respective survival was 85.8%, 67.3%, and 46.1%. Age, preoperative NYHA class 3 or 4, and renal failure were independently associated with a threefold increased mortality. Female gender, history of STEMI, preoperative QRS duration of greater than or equal to 120 milliseconds, higher preoperative mitral regurgitation grade, and a greater LV end systolic volume were independently associated with an increased risk of recurrent mitral regurgitation. Thus, surgical mitral valve repair for functional ischemic mitral regurgitation is associated with an increased incident of recurrent mitral regurgitation over time. Recurrent mitral regurgitation at any moment after surgery is independently associated with an increased mortality. These findings are put into context in a thoughtful editorial by Pierre-Georgio Tozzi from the Centre Hospitalier University Vaudois, Chouf, in Lausanne, Switzerland. Besides mitral regurgitation, aortic stenosis is the most frequent valvular abnormality, particularly in the elderly and those with high blood pressure. Transcatheter aortic valve implantation, or TAVI, is an established therapy for patients with severe aortic stenosis at high or intermediate surgical risk, and possibly soon also at low risk. The ECG often changes after TAVI, but the clinical impact of new onset left bundle branch block remains uncertain. In their fast track, new onset left bundle branch block after transcatheter aortic valve replacement is associated with adverse long-term clinical outcomes in intermediate risk patients. An analysis from the Partner 2 trial. Tamim Nassif and colleagues from the Columbia University Medical Center in New York, USA investigated this issue. Among 1,179 intermediate risk patients, new onset left bundle branch block occurred in 15%. Such patients were similar to controls except for both more frequent diabetes and sapient 3 rather than sapient 3 valve use. At two years, new left bundle branch block was associated with all-cause mortality of 19.3% compared to 10.8%, cardiovascular mortality of 16.2% versus 6.5%, 
and more frequent rehospitalization and pacemaker implantation. By multivariable analysis, new left bundle branch block remained an independent predictor of two-year all-cause, hazard ratio 1.98, and cardiovascular, hazard ratio 2.66, mortality. New left bundle branch block was also associated with worse LVEF at follow-up. Thus, in intermediate risk patients, new left bundle branch block occurs not uncommonly and is associated with adverse outcomes, including all-cause and cardiovascular mortality, rehospitalization, pacemaker implantation, and worsened LV systolic function. Findings that are further discussed in an editorial by Marina Urena from the Hôpital Bichard-Claude Bernard in Paris, France. TAVI, and also Mitroclip, has initially been considered primarily in elderly and high-risk patients who are often frail. In their article, Frailty-Related Outcomes in Patients Undergoing Transcatheter Valve Therapies in a Nationwide Cohort, Harun Kundi and colleagues from the Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center in Boston, USA, analyzed the prevalence and outcomes of frail individuals undergoing TAVI. Database using the Hospital Frailty Risk Score of the 3,746 patients, 11.6% underwent transcatheter mitral valve repair and 88.4% TAVI. In the transcatheter mitral valve repair and the TAVI groups, about half were defined as low risk for frailty, score less than 5, about 40% as intermediate risk, score 5 to 15, and around 10% as high risk, score greater than 15. One-year mortality of transcatheter mitral valve repair was 13% in low risk, 30% in intermediate risk, and 41% in high-risk patients. In TAVI patients, one-year mortality rates were 8% in low risk, 18% in intermediate risk, and 30% in high-risk patients. Thus, the hospital frailty risk score allows for the identification of elderly individuals undergoing transcatheter valve therapies at greater risk of short and long-term mortality. The practical implication of these results are further discussed in an editorial by Jonathan N. Townend from the University Hospital Birmingham in the United Kingdom. Endocarditis is an important complication after transcatheter and surgical valve interventions even in those considered at moderate risk. In left-sided infective endocarditis, a large vegetation greater than 10 mil is associated with increased mortality. Yet it is unknown whether in the acute phase surgery or medical therapy provides better survival. In their article, the association between vegetation size and surgical treatment on six-month mortality in left-sided infective endocarditis Emil Loldrop Fosbol and colleagues from the Rikshospitalet in Copenhagen, Denmark, assessed this open question. Of the 1,006 patients with left-sided infective endocarditis, 42% had a vegetation size less than 10 mil, and 58% one of greater than 10 mil. Embolic events occurred in 28% and 44% respectively. Large vegetations were associated with a higher six-month mortality of 25% versus 19%. However, after propensity matching, the association with mortality persisted, but only in those with large vegetations managed medically with a hazard ratio of 1.86 rather than surgical, hazard ratio of 1.01. Thus, 
Left-sided infective endocarditis with vegetation size above 10 mil is associated with increased mortality. Survival of surgically managed large vegetations was similar to those with smaller vegetations, a finding that is put into practical context in an editorial by Gilbert Habib from the Hôpital Timon in Marseille, France. Pulmonary valvular disease is much less frequent than those of other cardiac valve, but particularly prevalent in patients with congenital heart disease. In the manuscript, Acute and Midterm Outcomes of the Post-Approval Melody Registry, a multi-center registry of transcatheter pulmonary valve implantation. Johannes Nordemeyer and colleagues from the Deutsche Herzzentrum Berlin in Germany report data of the Melody Registry. Overall, 845 patients of 25 years of age underwent transcatheter pulmonary valve implantation with the Melody valve and were followed up for six years. Death or further surgical or interventional treatments occurred in 0.5, 1.2 and 2.0% respectively. Acutely, the transvalvular pressure gradient and the percentage of patients with pulmonary regurgitation grade 2 or more improved from 37 to 13 millimeters Hg and 47 to 1% respectively. Post-procedural events occurred in 4.2% per person per year and ineffective endocarditis in 2.3% per person per year and resulted in significant morbidity and nine deaths. In multivariable Cox proportional hazard models, the transvalvular pressure gradient was associated 1.21 for the composite endpoint and risk with a hazard ratio of 1.17 for infective endocarditis. Thus, transcatheter pulmonary valve implantation with the Melody valve is safe and effective in large cohorts of congenital heart disease patients under real-world conditions but infective endocarditis remains a concern. These results are further discussed in an editorial by Lars Sondergaard from the Rigshospitalet in Copenhagen, Denmark. The issue is further complemented by the discussion forum. In their contribution, optimizing confidence in systematic reviews through registration and bias minimization, Hassam Kashani and colleagues from the University of Manitoba College of Medicine in Winnipeg, Canada, comment on the article Restrictive compared with liberal red cell transfusion strategies in cardiac surgery, a meta-analysis, by C. David Mazer and colleagues from the University of Toronto who respond properly to the comments. The editors hope that this issue of the European Heart Journal will find the interest of its readers.